Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of A-Minder. If you're interested in hearing about the impact of hearing aids on quality of life in patients with Alzheimer's disease, or how having a stable life partner can slow down the progression of dementia, then stick around and we'll get started soon. Welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. Hello again, it's Judy here, and I'll be your host for today's February 2023 episode on cognitive and behavioral changes in Alzheimer's disease. Due to the large amount of papers published on this topic in February, We've divided up the episodes into two parts, and I'll just be going over part one today. We unfortunately don't have the capacity to cover part two in a full episode this time, but we've still put together all the papers for you in our bibliography, completely free and accessible in the episode notes. If it's your first time listening in, what we do here at Aminder is provide a summary of the latest papers that have recently been published in the field of neurodegenerative disease with the current focus on Alzheimer's disease, or AD. In each series, we cover as many abstracts as possible that were published in a particular month. However, we only go through the paper abstracts and report the main objectives and findings, so if you're interested in learning about the specific methods or results from any of these papers, I encourage you to use our bibliography to look up your paper of interest. If there's a specific AD topic that you're interested in hearing about but wasn't covered in an episode this month, consider joining the podcast and potentially hosting it yourself. If you're interested in joining the Aminder team, send us your CV at aminderpodcast at gmail.com and we can work together on finding a suitable position for you. Feel free to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. You can also leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. We would really appreciate it as it would help us reach more listeners who would benefit from the show. Now let's finally get started with the episode. We have three sections to get through today, which are sleep, depressive symptoms, and sensory processing. Let's begin with the familiar territory of sleep. Sleep and circadian rhythm disturbances have been found to surface prior to the onset of cognitive decline in AD. We'll start off with a preclinical study on circadian rhythms in a mouse model of AD. Paper number one is titled Circadian Rhythm Sleep Disorders and Time of Day Dependent Memory Deficiency in Presenilin 1 and 2 Conditional Knockout Mice with Long Non-Coding RNA Expression Profiling Changes. It was published in Sleep Medicine by first author Si and last author Meng, both from Shanghai, China. Presenilin 1 and 2 conditional knockout mice are commonly used as a mouse model of familial AD, as they show similar cognitive and pathological changes as human AD patients. Here, the authors use this model to address the lack of literature exploring hippocampal expression of long non-coding RNA in AD, which are generally defined as transcripts longer than 200 nucleotides that don't get translated into functional proteins. The authors used RNA sequencing to identify long non-coding RNAs in the hippocampus, and then they correlated these findings to sleep patterns and circadian rhythms as measured with EEG and EMG. At two months of age, 
AD mice showed increased non-REM sleep during the dark phase as compared to wild-type mice, whereas at six months of age, the AD mice showed increased wakefulness and decreased sleep overall. Now here's where it gets a little confusing. Contextual and cued memory were found to depend on time of day in the wild-type mice, while the AD animals showed circadian modulation deficiency, but only when they were trained in the resting period and not in the active period. And to top it off, the researchers found that changes in the expression of long non-coding RNAs associated with immune response might be contributing to these circadian disruptions. The main takeaway here is the time-of-day-dependent memory deficiency in the presenilin 1 and 2 conditional knockout model that is useful for future studies on circadian disruptions in AD. Next, we move on to two clinical studies on sleep, the first of which looks at functional connectivity changes and its link to amyloid beta, which is the main component of amyloid plaques in AD patients. Paper number two is called Resting State Functional Connectivity Changes in Older Adults with Sleep Disturbance and the Role of Amyloid Burden. This one is from the journal Research Square by first author Kim and last author Lee. This cross-sectional study was pretty straightforward and aimed to uncover the association between A-beta burden, sleep disturbance, and altered resting state connectivity in older adults. Nearly 500 participants were taken from the AD Neuroimaging Initiative, and groups included patients with AD, those with mild cognitive impairment or MCI, and cognitively normal individuals. All subjects had completed sleep assessments, PET scans for measuring A-beta, and resting state fMRI scans at baseline. The authors found an interaction effect where sleep disturbance was correlated with salience network hyperconnectivity, but only in the presence of A-beta burden. This suggests that people showing AD pathology may be at an increased risk for altering resting state functional connectivity related to sleep. All this to say that diagnosing and treating sleep problems in these individuals could mitigate disease progression. Now for our last paper on sleep, we have a similar study looking at the interaction between AD biomarkers and sleep characteristics in older adults. Paper number three has the title, The Association of Subjective Sleep Characteristics and Plasma Biomarkers of Alzheimer's Disease Pathology in Older Cognitively Unimpaired Adults with Higher Amyloid Beta Burden. This one was from the Journal of Neurology by first author Chu and last author Guo, who are both also from Shanghai, China. This study differs from the previous one in that only cognitively unimpaired adults were included as subjects, and they were screened using the mini mental state exam and other neuropsychological tests. All participants completed a PET scan to measure A-beta levels, the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index to measure subjective sleep quality, and specific tests to measure plasma AD biomarkers. Out of the 335 participants, around a third were A-beta positive. Both sleep disturbance and a sleep duration of over 8 hours were associated with A-beta deposition. Now, this next part I found really surprising. From what I understood, in participants who were A-beta positive, falling asleep outside of the 10 to 11 p.m. period was correlated with higher levels of A-beta-42. Isn't that interesting? Definitely check out the original paper for details on the results, but the main findings were that in individuals with A-beta deposition, falling asleep between 10 and 11 p.m., having at least 75% sleep efficiency, taking less than 30 minutes to fall asleep, and having good sleep quality 
may help improve AD pathology in this population. That's the end of the sleep section. Let's continue on with two studies on depressive symptoms in AD. Paper number four was published in Brain and Behavior and compares self and observer ratings of depressive symptoms in AD and MCI patients. It's titled, Lower Cognitive Function Attenuates the Convergence Between Self Ratings and Observer Ratings of Depressive Symptoms in Late Life Cognitive Impairment. This one was published in Brain and Behavior by first author Kwok and last author Lee, who are both from Korea. The purpose of this study was pretty straightforward, as the authors aimed to determine whether the agreement of self and observer ratings of depressive symptoms is affected by varying levels of cognitive function. Subjects included over 2,500 older adults with either no impairment, MCI, or AD, all of which completed a self-reported scale of depression and global cognitive function tests. Each participant also provided a rating of affective symptoms that was completed by an informant, which I assume was someone who was able to observe the subject's behavior somewhat regularly. As you might expect, the strength of convergence between self and observer ratings decreased as a function of lowered cognitive function. This loss of convergent validity was especially apparent for the behavioral symptom of apathy. These findings remind us to be cautious when using self-report scales of depression in older adults with any signs of cognitive impairment. On a similar note, this next paper discusses early depressive symptoms in patients with autosomal dominant AD which is a form of AD that is genetically inherited. Paper number five is titled, Early Depressive Symptoms Predict Faster Dementia Progression in Autosomal Dominant Alzheimer's Disease. This was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Acosta Baena and last author Lopera, who are both from Colombia. Here, the goal was to identify any correlations between depressive symptoms and age of onset for cognitive decline in patients with autosomal dominant AD. Subjects in this retrospective study were 190 carriers of the presenilin one e 280 a mutation who had existing clinical data up to a 20-year longitudinal follow-up. From these PSEN1 mutation carriers, those who showed depressive symptoms before MCI developed dementia faster than those without depressive symptoms. Interestingly, participants who did not have a stable life partner had accelerated MCI onset and dementia, and those with controlled hypothyroidism had a later age of onset of depressive symptoms. In addition, women had a higher frequency and earlier onset of depressive symptoms than men. In conclusion, depressive symptoms seemed to accelerate cognitive decline in people with autosomal dominant AD, and factors such as marital status hypothyroidism, and sex could impact disease progression. Now, we only have three papers remaining, but some of you might be wanting to let your brain have a break from all this information, so let's take a quick break here. Hi, I'm Ellen Rowe, host and co-founder here at Aminder. I've been with the team since the very beginning in 2020, and I really love it because it's an outlet to hone my own science communication skills, and I feel super passionate about the mission of making sure scientists are well-informed about all of the new research being churned out. It's also super rewarding to be a part of a community of like-minded and driven scientists from all career stages. If you're interested in getting involved with our team, we are currently recruiting new hosts and content creators for the show. 
This is a great opportunity for researchers interested in keeping up to date with the latest Alzheimer's research and getting some science communication experience in the process. If this has piqued your interest, you can reach us at aminderpodcast at gmail.com or through any of our social media platforms, and we'd love to hear a bit about you. Nearly one million older Canadians live with a form of dementia. This number is expected to double within 10 years, and sadly no solutions exist yet to dramatically reduce these numbers. It has to stop. Research can help solve this problem. We are 350 researchers fully dedicated towards preventing and finding a cure to dementia, and to improve care to those living with dementia. We are the Canadian Consortium on Neurodegeneration in Aging. The solution to dementia could be closer than you think. Welcome back, everyone. For our next section, we have three papers that discuss sensory processing impairments in AD, and each study focuses on a different sensory modality. To start, paper number six is quite unique as it explores the impact of hearing aids in dementia patients. It was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and is titled Impact of Hearing Aids on Progression of Cognitive Decline, Depression, and Quality of Life Among People with Cognitive Impairment and Dementia. This one comes from Germany by first author Atef and last author Hoffman. While hearing loss is common in patients with dementia, there is little research on hearing aids and their effect on different components of daily life such as social or psychiatric implications. Therefore, this paper aimed to assess whether the use of hearing aids is correlated with cognitive function, depression, and health-related quality of life in people with dementia. Participants included around 250 dementia patients over the age of 70 who were living at home. The mini mental state exam was used to measure cognitive decline, the geriatric depression scale was used to measure depression, and the quality of life in Alzheimer's disease scale was used to measure health-related quality of life. Around half of the patients had hearing loss, 54 of which used hearing aids. Overall, as you might guess, individuals with hearing loss were older and had lower quality of life than those without. Use of hearing aids was associated with a smaller increase in symptoms over time when compared to those not using hearing aids. However, use of hearing aids did not have an effect on cognition and was only linked to higher quality of life after the course of one year, but not over two years. From these results, the authors vouch for the use of hearing aids for age-related hearing loss, which could improve mental health and health-related quality of life in dementia. For our second-last paper of the episode, let's move on to visual processing deficits in AD. Paper number seven is titled, Disruption of Early Visual Processing in Amyloid-Positive Healthy Individuals and Mild Cognitive Impairment. This study is from the journal Alzheimer's Research and Therapy, written by first author Javit and last author Stern, who are from New York. First, to get some definitions out of the way, visual event-related potentials, which I'll refer to as visual ERPs, are voltage changes in the brain associated with specific visual stimuli. Here, the authors studied visual ERPs in the context of amyloid deposition in aging and in MCI. They assessed VERP to stimulus onset and to motion onset in 16 amyloid positive and 41 amyloid negative healthy elderly, as well as 15 individuals with MCI. 
both amyloid-positive participants who were cognitively normal and MCI patients showed impaired stimulus onset and motion onset visual ERP generation as compared to amyloid-negative participants. Using these types of visual ERP measures, the researchers were able to classify amyloid-positive and amyloid-negative groups with an accuracy of over 70%. To conclude, visual ERP may be helpful in the early detection of amyloid deposition in older individuals who don't show clear neurocognitive impairments. Our last paper for today has a focus on speech impairments in early AD. Paper number 8 is titled, The Generalizability of Longitudinal Changes in Speech Before Alzheimer's Disease Diagnosis. It was published in Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Petty, who is from Cambridge in the UK, and last author Robin, who is affiliated with Winterlight Labs in Toronto, Canada. In the introduction, the authors mentioned that significant changes in speech have been found in the press conference transcripts of President Bush and President Reagan, who were later diagnosed with AD. In the current longitudinal study, they first attempted to replicate these previous methods of comparing speech samples of public figures before and after AD diagnosis. Subjects were 10 individuals who later developed AD and 9 healthy controls. The authors weren't able to generalize previous patterns of language change to their larger sample, and so they switched the focus to exploring benefits of using different language features and compiling single features into aggregate scores. The two single features that showed the strongest results were vocabulary variation and pronoun-related features. The aggregate scores that they generated performed better than single features, and lexical diversity also declined in two-thirds of the participants. To sum up, changes in vocabulary variation, pronoun-related features, and lexical diversity are measures that could reflect cognitive decline in many individuals. And we have finished yet another Cognitive and Behavioral Changes episode. I hope you found the papers interesting and that you learned something new from the latest research in Alzheimer's disease. Remember that you can look up any of the papers covered today in our full bibliography that we've prepared for you in the episode notes. Be sure to rate and review Aminder as it helps our volunteer-run podcast reach more listeners and also connect with us on all our social media platforms, including Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. A good place to leave a review is on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, and you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. We are actively recruiting volunteers, so please send us your CV at aminderpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be happy to find a suitable position for you on the team. I'd like to thank the sorting and management teams for all their hard work, Nyla for reviewing the script, Michelle for editing the recording, Saladin for making the bibliography, and Anusha for both reviewing the episode and creating the music. You can find more of her content on YouTube at AK Music or on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh. Lastly, thank you all so much for joining me in today's episode. I hope you learned something new and that you find this podcast useful and accessible for you and your research. We hope to have you back soon. Bye for now!